0: Welcome to Creative Peacemail Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tami Takeishi. Mm-hmm. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Creative Piecemeal, a creative arts podcast. My name is Tammy takeishi and today I am with musician Thomas Eccles. Thomas Eccles is a guitarist, and his work is an amalgam of classical, modernist, and pop music forays, and he's currently a visiting artistic director For Austin Classical Guitar. He's also involved in an experimental pop alter ego, Man Woman Friend Computer, where they create songs that unfold into meandering compositions. So I definitely encourage you guys to check out their albums and check out Thomas's work. And I'm really excited to have you on the show. Can you tell me who or what inspired you to become a musician?
1: Hi Tammy. Um oh and can I make one correction to the to the bio there it, I, I'm not currently artistic director of Austin Classical Guitar.
0: Oh, oh, my apologies.
1: <laughs> I but I was guest uh, artistic director in, in, in the past. Um but yes, um so uh, uh the person who inspired me to be a musician is is my dad. Um he's a self-taught guitarist and so I my earliest memories are of him playing guitar and he and, you know, and and I always remember wanting to play guitar and, you know, so my dad's an inspiration there.
0: Oh, that's really lovely. Do you guys play guitar together ever?
1: Yes. Yes, we do. We, uh, we, um, whenever we, you know, get together, we, I mean, not always, it doesn't always happen, but we'll get together and uh, yeah. Play some songs and
0: stuff. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> I'm sure they're very proud of, of you and what you've done.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. I think, I think they are. They're very, Yeah.
0: (laughs) So obviously guitar is something that, you know, you grew up loving. Are there any other instruments that you would want to play if you could?
1: I, I love the cello. Um, I took a bunch of cello lessons for about four years, but it was a long time ago. And so I can't play cello anymore. And, uh, and I love that instrument uh, or, or, um, so I would probably pick cello because it's so beautiful um, or, or, I mean, I can play piano a bit, but, uh, but I'd like to be much better at piano than I am. So that's uh that would be something. One yeah. of those, because, because I, I play a lot with synthesizers synth- and stuff. So it would be fun to, uh, to uh, be really like virtuosic at piano. It would be really cool.
0: <laughs> those are all great instruments, but you know, the guitar um, and cello, they're, they're not super related, but there are some very interesting things that you can only do on guitar.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Totally. I mean, when I was, uh, when I was younger, I mean, when I was in my undergrad in music school, I took cello lessons the whole time and I had a lot of cello envy and even talked to my cello teacher about how, you know, I'm secretly wishing I could maybe become a cellist. And, um, but then, uh, as time went on and as I became more immersed in the guitar, which has always been my first love, um, it really, uh, became clear to me that it's far and above my favorite instrument. I I love the guitar very much.
0: (laughs) It's definitely a good one. So what is something that most people who are familiar with your work wouldn't know about you?
1: Uh, I think most people that are familiar with my work would maybe not know that I was, um, like these days they wouldn't know that I was in like a punk rock band when I was in at my teens that played a whole lot of Minutemen so uh so that would be uh so Minutemen's like a punk band from uh from uh from San Pedro California that i I grew up uh uh really idolizing them and and learned every guitar line from those songs and um from them and so that would that would probably surprise people who are familiar with my work now that that that's part of kind of my musical DNA because it doesn't really connect to what I do in a way.
0: <laughs> yeah I was actually wondering you know did that music influence your creative expression today at all I think,
1: you, you know I mean I mean combined with kind of my first experiences of of playing and and being kind of a self-taught musician from my dad who was self-taught and uh, and he kind of encouraged me to be self-taught so in the early years it was a very DIY kind of punk type of thing in my experience. And while I don't really do music that sounds like that on the, I don't think on the outside, but the, um, I something about the ethos of, I don't know, raw exploration <laughs> maybe, or, or like, a or kind of, a uh, something about that kind of irreverent aspect is, is, something that I think is very present in, in, in how I explore music and, and, and creative work and stuff, I think. So in that way, I think very much like, you know, and, and also men and men are very political and, um, and that also doesn't come through in an obvious way in my music, but I, but in, but in the inside workings, um, it's something that's very much in my kind of creative consciousness and stuff
0: can you expand more on your creative process and some of your favorite parts and some of your least favorite parts?
1: I love, I, 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 I have, I, I, I view it in, in cycles. I have these different cycles of, of, uh, engagement with, uh, musical work and my creative work. And, uh, so I'm a big fan of, uh, learning and, uh, and i think when i was younger i was always maybe a little paranoid about having writer's block or something so i have all these ways of engaging with music that i shift gears to when i kind of run out of steam in one way so one way would be like uh practicing things on my on my instrument on the classical guitar and then another way would be like exploring sound design on a synthesizer and another way would be I do a lot of improvisation and I'm a an acolyte of this of a jazz musician and teacher named Barry Harris he, who's really important to me and um, so I improvise through these different structures that are really kind of a big system that Barry kind of came up with that I love. So I guess um, without being too meandering, I switch between gears a lot, and I have a lot of improvisation in my creative work, and I do and as soon as I like, kind of feel like I'm not having good ideas, I switch to learning pretty quick, and I learn new things that then become kind of fodder or part of, part of my what I do later. So that's so, so to me, kind of creating and learning are two sides of the same coin.
0: That sounds like it's very productive, though.
1: I've kind of come to terms with more recently in my life because I've always been worried about being unproductive or feeling like a procrastinator, but I realized that I'm uh, fairly productive, I think. (laughs) Now, yeah, it's a pretty productive cycle. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you feel that you were able to stay productive and stay creative during the pandemic? Or has that sort of shifted how you look at the creative process?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I okay, I, I feel a little self-conscious talking about it because I know a lot of people have had a really hard time with it and um I have a lot of compassion for that and I and I and and I think that's really, you know, something, you know, important to acknowledge. Um in my particular experience, I am uh, I've I've had a, a very productive, it's it's been a, a better better for me in in, in my personal like if I ignore that the suffering that that a lot of people have gone through, and I just think about my own experience, of I've, I've I've uh, I thrive in in kind of isolation in my creative work. So I uh, so it's been good for me to be able to do that, and um, yeah. So I've had a very productive year in that way. Um, so in, in in a way, it's kind of and and just the experience of uh, when when things kind of shut down and you know performances that I had were canceled and things I just it allowed me to focus in every day when I woke up a lot more on like what do I need to be working on right now today for for me because there was a period of time there where yeah all of the uh, things kind of got canceled and um, there's a there's a there's a kind of trend that happens in in my life where I where I will have a performance that's booked and I will commit to doing a kind of thing for it. And kind of in my nature is to try to make that always something new and challenging for me. So it'll be some kind of new type of creative idea as far as how I'm going to do something for it. And then I'm committed to that and I work on that and I enjoy it. But as it gets closer, kind of my inner mind space is, wants to work on another thing. And so it takes a lot of discipline to make myself focus on that. And, uh, so it was nice to get a little break from that and just have a lot of time where I can wake up every day and, and be productive in the thing that was very much present with me right in that moment. And, um, which was a little scary feeling at first, but then it was neat because I realized that I, am that's something that I'm good at or that I'm comfortable with and that I kind of benefit from is that kind of freedom. And, uh, so it made me more productive to be able to do that.
0: If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. That's good. Yeah, I know for so many people during this time, you know, especially artists, it's, it's been difficult, whether it's lots of gigs canceled or feeling frozen and frustrated in their creative process. So it's always nice to hear when people are still able to, to have that creative outlet and that things have not been halted.
1: Yeah. I, you know, and I started a, um, you know, I'm a teacher also, and um, I teach at the community college here, um, classical guitar and composition and theory and stuff like that, and technology, music technology kind of things. And um, had been wanting for a while. There, there's been some things that I've been developing, kind of theoretically and in my work, that uh, 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 improvisational structures for the end, for the guitar and stuff and and on jazz that I've uh, been just really kind of aching for having the time to. Uh, organize it into uh stuff to share with people to help to kind of share the the way of uh, so that other people could learn some of these some of those types of theories and uh when this started i had actually you know, right before the pandemic happened like in early march but before things shut down um i had started a new youtube channel that was about that that was just educational and teaching people to improvise in a certain way kind of a lot about this barry harris person i was talking about and it's been – and and I've had a lot of time to do that channel this year, and that's been a really fun way of engaging with people too and kind of finding finding a different audience in a way. And, um, and also it's pushed me to explore ideas in my own composition and improvisation and kind of – so that's like something that wouldn't – I wouldn't have had the time, even though I started it before this – before COVID really hit, I, I uh, wouldn't have had the time that I've had because of all the cancellations, um, to really devote to that. And it's been something really rewarding in my life, if that makes sense. <laughs> so, you know, isolation and, and, and in connecting through other ways, I guess has been the theme of the year. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's fantastic that you were able to pour your energy into doing something that would benefit others. So that's fantastic to hear. Do you have, any barriers or did you have any barriers internal or ex- external to reach where you are currently in your career
1: oh yeah there's been a I mean I, I would not be able to enumerate all of the barriers but yeah so many I think for me part of what I love about being a, a, an artist a creative person or whatever um is uh is that it gives you a real kind of um like a dojo to to overcome yourself over and over again with and um or at least that's my experience of it so um you know to grow beyond who you are and to kind of and, and to grow towards something other than and uh and that's you know and that's what i mean by learning and and how that's still a very important part of my life i'm a 40 year old person with a, with a few music degrees and um and i learn every day and every week and uh and so yeah there were barriers about um gosh when i was younger um i had bad playing habits because of kind of being self-taught so i had to i think the most significant thing i had over in my life was some habits in my in in my hand my right hand in particular in my playing mechanism so to speak uh that have to do with really nuanced things about how your fingers move and, um, a really incredible teacher here in Austin, Texas named Adam Holtzman, who is the professor at university of Texas. He kind of, uh, I mean, not to be over dramatic but he kind of changed my life or, or kind of saved my musical life in a way. He showed me how to fix these, these things that were a major block to me. And I, and I would have never been able to do the things I've gotten to do without overcoming those. And it was really like, I kind of had to stripped myself down for it was like six months where I was just playing like one note over and over again with one finger (laughs) I was not playing any music it was a really I've never had a student who I've had to do that to like it was a really weird situation but it was pretty major because I had been practicing so much in my life up to that point because I've always been an obsessive practicer and I'd been ingraining some bad habits in my right hand like in a really heavy way so that was, that's the standout. Uh, but then there's been lots of like non-technically, not, not about hand technique, but about like a uh, inner life type of stuff. One of my biggest, I, I could say this, uh, uh, is that uh, one of the biggest challenges for me has been my tendency is to do work in private and uh, not share it with people and just work on and work on and always think. Uh, I just need to work on it more on my own. And so like things like with my man, woman, friend, computer project to like share that with the world was like a, personally for me, kind of a, a a really heavy thing to kind of muster the bravery to do that kind of thing. And there was a period in my life where it was kind of like a big part of my music self, my music musician self was hidden from the world. And, um, And, and that was tough for me. And I had to, and it took me a long time to kind of get to where I felt ready to uh, change that. So that, that was a big, that's, that's probably another, if I had to pick like three to five things, that would definitely be in the list of something. And it's still my tendency. I'll still, I work on stuff for years before I show it to anybody, you know, like sometimes with certain aspects of, of my musical work and stuff. So try to push myself to be a little bit more just kind of open and in the flow and and I think that's I'm much more in that place now and which is nice you know and so uh so yeah but that's a huge ego stuff you know <laughs> like a uh, bird ego stuff is a huge burden like weird kind of chip on your shoulder conceptions about things and all kinds of goofy stuff that you know particularly as particular as young person um I know I've had a lot of and and just kind of Learning to uh, think in a in a way that's that's positive and exciting to you and, and feels inspired and you know there's a lot that's that's what I mean by like it's kind of like a dojo like being a creative person is kind of like it really makes you fa- come face to face with uh, a cold hard facts about yourself if you like if you like record yourself if you like take things seriously and you don't just kind of like tell yourself. You know, if you don't just tell yourself, I'm great, whatever, everybody else is wrong, but you actually like kind of are different than that. Then it, it, yeah, tons of stuff, (laughs) you know, it's a good question. question.
0: Definitely like sharing, like you said, sharing that musical side of you, it's, it's, it takes a certain bravery because you're being so vulnerable and opening yourself up to whatever happens and, you know, but it sounds like good things came from it, so
1: there was a period in my life where, where really all of my output was just as a, was a, as a classical guitarist, you know, and, um, and only people who knew me really well knew that I like had all these other things that were important to me. And, um, so that was, uh, you know, because there's a thing in the classical music world, there's a, there's a thing, and I'm probably being a little unfair and overly general in saying this, but at least within myself, I perceived a thing that, uh, that I felt like was a bias where people if they saw that you wrote songs or if you like played in other genres there might be an assumption that you're not a like quote unquote legitimate classical musician or you can't really play the repertoire or something like that. And so I was there was a period in my life where I was really really worried about like if I put out this album or something then like people are going to just all of a sudden assume that I'm not quote unquote legit or it'll delegitimize me or something like that and that was that was a very scary thing in my life because I care about all of it so much and part of what all of it is is definitely just playing the repertoire you know of the of the classical guitar which I'm very much in love with so you know those are scary things (laughs) but you know you got to just as James Baldwin says you got to move towards your fear
0: yes (laughs) very true very true I mean, I know you compose and you teach and you play, but if you could do any other creative art besides what you currently engage in, what would that be?
1: I think hands down, it would be being a, uh, like a writer, like a novelist. <laughs> I've always been, I I love to read and, uh, and maybe I'll write a book someday, but I, um, but besides just kind of journaling type stuff, I do not and I don't even do that that much. I mainly write like notes about creative projects and uh, and like f- kind of philosophical underpinnings of creative projects and research. I write research for like music theory stuff, but it would be super cool to be like, I don't know. I feel like that would be a really satisfying creative um, thing to do, to be a novelist.
0: And you know, there's so many parallels in the creative process with writing a novel and, their, and composition.
1: Oh yeah, totally, totally. You know, and if it weren't that, I would pick a dancer, <laughs> I would be a dancer, but I think, um, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't pick that as a first thing. A- and also what would make me not pick it for a first thing, just because uh, just because writing seems is such a wonderful thing and it's, and reading is so important in my life, but dancing is so cool, but it's also kind of a little closer to home in, in being a performer, a music performer to be a dance performer. So it's, it's kind of also appealing to like, the, the the fact of the aspect of writing that's so in your solitude and not performative
0: would you say that the books you read also inspire your music and your creative outlet
1: oh absolutely yeah yeah definitely in a big way in very in very obvious ways i think sometimes like in the creative project i just did um there's really something i'll send you a link to it because uh, there's a they did a really, uh, it was with KMFA, the classical radio station here, and Austin Classical Guitar, which is a big organization here. And uh, they did this amazing quality live stream with lighting and the camera edit angles, like multiple camera e- things, and 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 the sound was really wonderful. And it's now on, you know, it's on YouTube, but it was a live stream, and it was just such a high quality in comparison to what I've done with other streams. And it was very obviously inspired by books i've read and uh it involved can i tell you about it for a moment i mean in relation
0: of course yeah i'd love to hear about it okay
1: okay so uh yeah it involved it was called call and response and it was in collaboration with a excellent string quartet called um invoke that's based out of here they tour all over the country even now they tour to do streams from different locations it's bizarre but uh they're a very uh amazing group and they can improvise really well in addition to playing the string quartet repertoire and uh compose and they sing and all kinds of stuff so we have worked together a bunch but what this was was we did a um it was uh there's it started with interview processes with intergenerational pairs of participants from the community an older person and a and a a person that was uh, like a teenager they were asked questions about music that was meaningful to them and uh memory-based things, like the kind of music that brings up special feelings from their memory. And we ended up making, I made an app because I designed software and stuff for creative projects. And I made an app that has this music all in it that they told us about in these interviews. And the app was based off of memory theories from like literature and philosophy, like Marcel Proust and Henry Bergson and all this stuff that are kind of like poetic, but also kind of connected to neuroscience in a very... Loose way, um, in some cases, like neuroscientists, like Proust, kind of, and um, and we used the app to manipulate these this music into these sound art pieces that then we composed around, and then we played this performance where I used technology I've made for performing live with electronic sounds that process us live and also play audio that we've made beforehand from the app, and we did this, uh, yeah, this show that was all that very much that had a very heavy hand of inspiration from books I've read <laughs> that I love and uh and memory theory and stuff and it was a really wonderful um gift that uh Carla McElhenney from uh, KMFA she gave me at the end of the project of a t-shirt she got from a great place in LA called Museum of Jurassic Technology that I love and it's a shirt of a. Uh, Little diagram of of from a book by this guy named Jeffrey Sonabend who wrote a book um, about memory and forgetting that's really not connected to neuroscience at all is not connected to fact it like it includes things like premonition and past lives and deja vu but it's fascinating and poetic and uh, I love it and she gave me this t shirt with like diagrams from it it's really cool um, so I love yeah I mean that's like um, everything I do. Uh, When I'm making something music wise, definitely, I'm just kind of like freely stealing ideas from stuff I've read a lot that happens a lot.
0: That project sounds really fascinating. I really like the I thought that was so interesting, you know, that you said you built software and an app and and things of that nature is is any of that something that you think you'll do more of in the future in terms of working with music?
1: Yes, absolutely. I do. That's kind of like, yeah, I mean, I wear a lot of hats, but they're all under kind of one big umbrella for me. And um, so that app is available on my website that anybody can check out for free and manipulate sound with and, and kind of like, you know, read about funny memory concepts, but I do. uh, Yeah. I have an app that I made for my, kind of it's it's an app that teaches musicians how to learn the kind of contrapuntal improvisational cu- counterpoint means like uh contrapunnel means multiple melodies at the same time you know and uh, but it's an app that teaches people to improvise multiple melodies at the same time <laughs> is is what it is and it's a uh, it has like diagrams and geometries and all this stuff for concepts and and it's got a beautiful mind inside it that like is creative like the the app like uh I'm really fascinated with making apps that uh, emulate creative process, like within the app. So, so I'll I'll use these things when I perform, and they'll like kind of compose alongside me and stuff. So I do that a lot. Like I have a device that I made that I attach to my classical guitar that just sits on the side of my classical guitar, and 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 it lets me move my guitar around in different directions and control software that I've made that then will interact with me. Sometimes like like the movement of my hand kind of like a theremin you know like just moving my hand from left to right will maybe bring in some notes from the software that i made that the software is actually improvising and then i listen to those notes and i respond to them and then and then the software captures notes that i've played and it sends them back in a different mode. And it's this, I'm very fascinated by interaction in that kind of way. And like kind of a setting up systems that remove my agency in the moment or kind of set me off guard or put me in trouble kind of, so that I have to respond to trouble in the moment. <laughs> like, so to speak, I like that kind
0: of thing. That sounds so fascinating. And it's, it's almost like you're improvising with yourself but then you've got this computer aspect to it that that sounds so neat And know and it also almost sounds like you know maybe you should have been a software engineer as well
1: <laughs> yeah well you know it's yeah it's it's it, the software thing is something that i started after i finished my doctorate i um was like i need to what am i going to do next to learn stuff and there was a whole list of things that i really wanted to learn about more and one of them was there's a programming environment called Max MSP that artists like weirder artists use to, uh, to, to make visuals for concerts or to make sound art things or to make things like what I make. like, say if you go to see a Bjork concert, like the kind of like multimedia experience you would see from Bjork, as uh, she probably has like a Max MSP guru doing that stuff. I mean, a lot of this stuff gets done in Max. So I was like, uh, like 10 years ago. I was like, uh, I, I, this now's the time I'm going to start learning about this. So I just kind of, it was kind of therapeutic to me to uh, have things that I do in an auto, auto didactic way again, because I'd been in so much school where I was happily learning from other people. And it was nice to just kind of teach myself to do some things. So, so software development was that thing that I kind of dived into a lot. And, and now I'm actually a licensed developer and I, yeah, I sell some apps and it's, 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 it's a fun, I don't really do it for the money. It's just fun. <laughs>
0: That's very cool. And it's it's always good to expand our horizons and learn and, and find new ways to create and emote.
1: Right. There's a whole world of people that do that. And there's, I think of a quote from uh, Lori Spiegel, who's, who's, she's still, she said this, I think recently in something I, great innovator of electronic music. And, and she, she made um, a piece that is on the golden record that is on the Voyager sp- spacecraft that's going out to meet alien life out it's past the solar system now you know and uh she's really incredible but she said something about just kind of codifying what it is it's called algorithmic composition a lot is what i do and uh and it's like yeah instead of writing a piece of music you write a program that writes the pieces of music and it and that program then could like change its choices based on user input with a joystick or anything you know like with a video game controller and and in compositional process that's the thing like when you look at bach there's For example from the baroque era there are passages of bach where it's clear that he's doing a process that goes from this point to this point and he and in another piece he would do the exact same process but in a slightly different way like it's kind of like a move but the move is theoretical and then he realizes it in this particular way in this moment but you kind of look at it and you're like he could have done it like this and i do this with my students i'll improvise through those things and show them like, look, Bach could have done this, or he could have done this, or he could have done this. And that helps us to appreciate what Bach actually did, which is kind of the perfect thing that he chose to do. So when you think about that aspect of music, then you think about algorithmic composition and you think, oh, isn't it fun to make something that can, you can just kind of say, I want process X to happen. And I'm not really that concerned with which version you pick. I want you to pick computer it's like john cage composer who really opened the world up to that type of thinking and uh, lots of other people but um but yeah it's it's a fascinating world we're in now because there's a lot of that happening in composition
0: you know i haven't really delved into that side of the music world in in a long time and, and it's fascinating to see how much it's grown since right you know since the pioneers like John Cage and Carl Stockhausen and all of those, all those people, you know, and I'm curious you've built these apps and other people have done things like that. Do you see those apps as being able to have other, pardon the word pun here, applications for other individuals, maybe not necessarily musicians. How, how would you see that integrated into the world?
1: Well, it's a really cool question. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of ways that can go. The first thing I think of just because of where my bent is, because I, I am aware of my kind of inclinations are is, as I said, like, is when I say I'm a teacher, I, I view teaching as just another extension of being a creative artist. Like it's, If the, I hope I don't regret saying this or it sounds weird, but like, okay, so like I do my own practicing. And then when I teach a student, I'm kind of like, it's like practicing students or like showing them how to practice. So then like, I'm kind of meta it's like I'm practicing too when I'm practicing showing them how to practice you see it's like an extension of my own practice of me in a way or something so uh i that didn't sound as weird as i thought it would i guess but um but uh
0: like meta creativity
1: <laughs> meta it's like meta teaching is meta creativity you know and uh and so then when you make an app it's it's meta music in a way because it can affect the way people make music right and then uh And then but then there are applications like when you look at sound art and things where you make a which is a trend now that's happening a lot and uh, and that I've done a bit of. And so you make something that, you know, there's ways that I think sound art will become more and more part of our just normal world world where you're like you're in a town and maybe the city and this happens now, but the city pays for a piece of sound art art at a corner or like you know that you can interact with while you're waiting for the bus you know or something and then that i i wouldn't be surprised that that kind of thing becomes less of like a framed event but it's just part of our normal experience when people are shopping and stuff there's sound art things involved and everything you know it's just i think we're going i mean i don't think it's outlandish to assume that the whole multimedia art thing is going to just become co-opted by corporations <laughs> and like used in good and not so good ways in all kinds of ways and just kind of infuse into our life, you know? But I think, but that's like big, I'm like talking Blade Runner now, but uh, but it's like uh, in the simple present, what I was gonna say is that I think about teaching a lot. And so I, when I'm making apps and things, I'm always kind of thinking like, how can I take, I'm not really as interested in, cause there's people that do this well, better than I would anyway already i'm not so interested in like making an app that teaches people the standard way of looking at music like hey here's how you listen to intervals or this is how you read notes or this is how chords are made or something there's stuff that does that i'm really interested in apps that take something that's pretty massively complex and makes it reasonably complex for people and like you can do that with non-musicians too where you can make like apps that are kind of gaming things And the end result is that the person playing with it, even though they're not a musician and they're not using the app because they're trying to become a musician, maybe they hear multiple melodies at the same time a little bit better by the time they're done with it. Like I made an app that kind of does that where you like play with a video game controller. It's not publicly available. I just put it in some sound art pieces, but uh, you play with a video game controller and it makes little balls move around in a way. But then when the balls move, contrapuntal lines like polyphony happens and it kind of encourage a person cause they have agency over it. They can choose how many balls come in and they can choose their relative direction. And it kind of guides a person through their eyes to wake their ears up to hear what the lines are doing. Because, because I think a, a thing that happens, that I've experienced a lot in students is they'll hear like something contrapuntal from Bach or something, and they won't realize that there's multiple melodies happening at the same time. They will hear it as a series of chords and be confused. And I'll be like, no, just follow this line. That's just one melody. And they're like, oh, and then what about that one? That's another melody. Oh, so it's like when you haven't been playing classical music on a piano or something, it, it can be hard to hear that kind of stuff. So, so I think about educational stuff is what I mean to say <laughs> a lot. But I, think, but I think apps and multimedia apps and multimedia art are going to just become more and more part of our life, I think honestly like in the next 20 30 years
0: that can be a very interesting development for sure you do a lot of things with experimentation have you have you ever worked with biofeedback
1: oh yeah i did a um that's a fun question um i did one biofeedback venture um there's a thing here in austin that steve parker who does a lot of really interesting stuff here He runs, he curates a a series at the Blanton Museum of Art that's called Sound Space. And it's where people do all kinds of, it's like themed art, uh, themed concert experiences where you walk around in the Blanton Museum and in each room you'll just encounter something musical. And they had it themed, they had one that was themed around the human body. And so I, um, and and it was supposed to be kind of collaborating with um, medical students from the Dell Medical hospital work. I had someone I was cl- trying to collaborate with, but he ended up being too busy with his schoolwork. So I just did it on my own. But what I did was I made a, I call it polygraphonium. And polygraphonium is uh, i basically made a polygraph. I made all the elements that make a polygraph. So a lie detector. So a lie detector, I did a little research and lie detectors, you know, there's different types and different kind of setups, but, uh, but the three most common things are heart rate, Muscle tension, like skin surface tension, like uh, like you know, you put some diodes on your forehead or on a person's arm, and it can tell how tense that part of their body is. And then something called galvanic skin response, which to this day I'm not too good at understanding, but it's, it has to do with like uh, the the conductiveness of your skin. So like how how well it. Inducts electricity or the capacitance. Anyway, it's something that you attach electrodes and it's way more subtle. And I made, um, so I made some circuits because I, in addition to building software, I built like my augmented guitar, my device that augments my classical guitar is a big circuit thing I built. And um, so I like to build circuits. And um, so I built these biofeedback circuits and that do all of that and made some software that crunched the numbers and then I ran it to a modular synthesizer and the performance was I would just sit on the ground and I would breathe deeply and uh, relax myself and the music would chill out and there would be this automated music but then I would like start to get more tense and I would like kind of tense up and breathe faster and like kind of do some jumping jacks and stuff and uh, which so it's not like I'm telling truth or lies but the sensors were polygraph type sensors. And I just did different things to kind of like, and the sound would change based on that. And it was really interesting. There were some things that were really easy for me to control with my body, like the muscle tension and the uh, heart rate even was easier to control than the dang galvanic skin response. I had to really, it it was bizarre. It was kind of supernatural feeling. I had to not only breathe really slowly, like once the whole system got worked up and the sounds are just crazy, I had to breathe very slowly. And also, um, think about really nice things to get like the galvanic skin response levels to go back down. Like I like put myself in a very happy place. It was a fascinating experience because I set all the levels of this whole thing up at home. And I was kind of stressed out about it when I was working on it because, because I, w- I felt a little like I was crunched for time in getting it done. And so i was a little stressed out and i thought well this is good because i'll probably have some adrenaline running in me when i'm doing this and in the real thing and i'm a very comfortable for performer but like everybody i get nervous everybody gets nervous when they perform anybody that says they don't is you know i don't know that's weird everybody gets nervous when they perform but it's like when you think of it positively it's like you're getting excited so i'm there at the thing and I get it all set up and people start sitting down and then I look at like my software and my numbers are just off the charts from what I was used to at home. And I was like, Oh no, this is going to sound crazy because it needs to be recalibrated. And so I had to like kind of do some recalibration procedures to change what the software was expecting for my normal numbers to be performance state numbers. Cause I realized that everything was peaked a little bit more than it was normal. So I had to like. I had to delay the performance by like five or 10 minutes so that I could like calibrate things. Right. So that it would be nice. And then, then and then I did it and it was effective performances, but it was fascinating learning experience in that way. Cause I was, cause I felt pretty normal, but I was like, wow, this is really, this biofeedback stuff really works. Cause it's telling me that like my, everything is keyed up when, when performing in this fascinating way, this <laughs> weird heart rate and everything. <laughs> so yeah, I did that once. <laughs>
0: That's really cool. Yeah. It biofeedback is, is so interesting. You know, it's I'm a music therapist and there are some music therapists that use biofeedback in research or in working with patients. And it's it's just really fascinating. That's why I was curious since you worked with all of those apps, how if you've ever worked with that and and that's really, really cool that you did that performance. Is that something that's like out there for people to find? it is
1: not you know i mean like i'm getting better about this but i have such a slew i like to have a back catalog of a lot of these types of things that i did once and there's a whole lot of, like friends who come to my things a lot have like commented to me about it it's like i've been to your last three things and you're just it's like a different person with what you're doing And how are you documenting this and uh, and um and i'm like i'm not <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really, but I have the software still, and I still have the circuits laying around somewhere. So maybe summer, pro- you know, it's, I, I do have things like that. that I'm like going to put into a portfolio with some, I'm getting better at that, but no, there is nothing of that besides the one, the people that were there when we did it, but I'll do it again. It was, it was fun and it was effect. It was actually, I was excited. You know, it's weird. Another thing about that biofeedback with music and art uh, music, Sound-based biofeedback projects have a have a fascinating problem to them that I think everybody that has done it once experiences. Uh, I've done a couple other things that are kind of of this that have this quality too, but not with biofeedback. So think about it this way: some things are controllable, but some things are like the numbers that you get are almost like chaos, you know. And so, like say if you attach biofeedback node to a plant. Like people that's a real trend people are doing a lot. So so you attach like you can attach like galvanic skin response and all this stuff and the conductance to a plant, to the leaves of a plant and you'll get readings off of it. But those readings you know, you could also just attach nodes to that same plant so that everybody can see it and you could not hook those electrodes up to anything and just make your thing happen, your software, make music. And you could just lie to everybody and say, like, it's reading off the plant. No one would know better, right? Because it's, it's chaos sound because, because while the plant does do stuff, it doesn't, it's not noticeably. So there's a thing that happens where you're like, there's ways to do it. That's really good and effective. But when you're working on projects like that, you have to ask yourself, or at least I feel this way. I have to ask myself. I'm putting all this effort into in this, and is this something that pe- that if I were this type of duplicitous person, I could just lie and say I'm doing it and not actually do it? Because if so, I'm going to change this project until it's something that's more demonstrative of it's actually doing its job. Does that make sense? I don't know. It's a weird thing with biofeedback because you can do it well, but then you can do it strangely. It's It's complex. <laughs>
0: I, I'm just still stuck on the fact that people hook things up to plants.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing now, like in the, there's a thing called, there's a couple of products that like give people an easy way to do it. Like, I think there's two companies that kind of, that made a thing out of doing that. There's there's some wild stuff in the experimental music scene. There's some wild stuff. It's, it's neat. I like, I like all of it. I'm just glad that people are doing all this interesting stuff, but, uh, but different things bring up. It's kind of the nature of the beast it's kind of like a john cage type thing john cage with his what everybody knows him most for that four minutes and 33 seconds of silence is a philosophical question you know (laughs) like of what is sound and stuff you know like when he he would perform that and he'd have like the windows open outside so you'd hear birds and stuff you know and and uh um, And it's like kind of brings you to awareness of like silence doesn't exist and stuff. So similarly, things like attaching biofeedback nodes to plants bring up kind of philosophical questions of of validity and not validity and like it's provoking. And there's definitely some things they are going to bring you an answer of like, I don't know, maybe not, maybe, maybe there's a different way. Yeah, it's fascinating. But Yeah. Attaching things to plants—it's a thing. They do that, and then they attach. People do that and attach it to modular synthesizers or software that makes music. It's a wild world. People also attach things to their heads that read their EEG waves and stuff. It's it's that's a there's a product that people can buy that does that now. It's just there's a lot of it's very niche market, but people are selling stuff that do stuff like that.
0: It's wild. Interesting, interesting. I, I can see like the EEG thing, but the plants—it's like well i wonder right. what my cactus has to say today
1: <laughs> i know your, your plant's not gonna have much to say like there's something you can do where like you can touch the leaves and that'll change what the leaf is giving as a readout because you're touching it and adding to its like electrical current or conductance but then you're playing it's kind of like you know you can attach you could like use that as a drum set you know make it make electronics But it's not like it still is not that meaningful yeah it's like yeah. what would my cactus say today <laughs> the brainwaves thing like people do some fascinating stuff where they will do that and they'll like meditate and stuff and you know like it's, again the it's wild there's a lot of fascinating work being done out there
0: there is yeah you know and and speaking speaking of that like if you if you were given an unlimited budget is there something a project or an idea that you would want to do that you haven't had a chance to do yet
1: oh man i mean that's a good question that's a tough question but uh you know i always have a problem with budget questions in general i'm not very good the way i work i am always like thinking about like how i can do things myself for cheap or free or something or for a little amount of money <laughs> so like as i think of projects like to think of projects with answer to this question uh, i have to shut off my mental thing of like giving myself crazy amounts of work that i could do on my own and just be like i could do that it'll take me two years and I'll, but cancel that part of me out which is a very impractical part of my thinking and uh and just thinking like sky's the limit it would definitely in would probably i would guess that it would involve i'm really interested like i said in interconnectivity and reaction and stuff um and and i'm really interested in old forms i have a lot of I have like five different archetypes of algorithms of of software algorithms that emulate like old forms of contrapuntal composition, like like different ways of doing the same thing. I'm really fascinated by it. And I would be really into doing something that like, uh, I don't know, I mean, just off the top of my head, I would probably start thinking about having a lot of people involved that are in a space with a lot of like speakers all over that space that like, So it's like, instead of like a quadraphonic sound thing where you got four speakers, you got like a massive amounts of speakers out in the distance that are hitting people. And then wherever people are, there's sensors that are picking people's locations up. And when people move to different locations, that changes the algorithm of like the contrapuntal music sound that they're hitting with so that they're engaging with it in an interesting way but that it would like also kind of like make them aware of their agency so like when you take a step to the left or a step to the right you're like oh that's changing the sound i'm hearing in a really significant way and i'm actually creating melodies by how i'm moving but then it's you know done in a way where like an ensemble of musicians can like create at the same time with that because they're getting like notes that are put on a screen in front of them that the algorithm is sending to them that they can like then kind of improvise around or I'm just spitballing off the top of my head like stuff like big project stuff but I know that a lot of speakers cost money and like getting people to like Not because it wouldn't be just, I would imagine doing something like that, you wouldn't just have a bunch of people that are just totally newbie to it, but they would be like, uh, spend a little time investing themselves in it and stuff. I don't know, that's just off the top of my head. I really like interconnectivity, I really like educational experiences that are also artistic, like create, like they're artistically satisfying to me, like both at the same time. And so, something like that would be, I don't know that that would be my first if I were to just kind of spitball if someone just was like, "Hey, I got a bunch of money, and uh do you wanna what what you can do anything you want? You know it's tough because like then thinking of that, then like because such an important part of me as a creator and stuff is very opposite end of that all like that's it that's scratching an itch that's important to me, but a whole nother part of me that's really important as a creator or project maker. Is just songwriting. Like I've song, I've been writing songs my whole life, and it's very important. And like this thing that we just did, I'm composing music for it. But I'm also, as are the other string quartet players, they compose music for it too. But in my compositional process, I'm like writing songs that are simple songs and stuff, and make and and like making album albums and making songs is really important. So then like it's like well, another thing I'll check. Okay, so another thing that would be really cool is with infinite or with lots of money would be to make an album of songs that, that, but the album, ah, here, yeah, this is, this makes me happy to think about. So the album is not like a record or a, um, compact disc, right? You know, no one uses those anymore, but, or anything like that, but it's rather a device, like a box. Like I'd have like a raspberry Pi in there or something, which is like a little microcomputer, but like a box that's like beautifully designed box. And, um, You can hook it up to your TV wirelessly or whatever. And it's got little controllers on it and it plays the album, but the controllers allow you to control parts of the album and also move to tracks that are hidden tracks that might pop up by random and that are taking sounds from the actual songs, manipulating them or creating new compositions. And there's like videos also that are like music videos, but are also interactive, kind of choose your own adventure. Some of them, and some of them are straight up. And it's kind of like you're exploring depth-wise into the album through this, like, imagine like a little, like a blue box that you just get as the album, and you can hook it up to your HDMI cable or to your Wi-Fi and play it on your TV and to your speakers. And, uh, And it talks to you, and you can talk to it, and you can explore kind of a created sound world that also has a narrative to it. And um, like kind of like a movie narrative kind of thing, but to the world of music. And that includes songs and compositions and stuff. And that's something I've thought about doing as a spitball project for a long time. And I I know how to do it. And it really doesn't cost money, that much money to do as far as like to do one of those. But to like mass produce it is costly unless, unless people are just willing to pay like 200 bucks a shot. (laughs) but it would be like cool to just be able to have that funded and then sell it for like a amount of money that people would want to pay for an album. But it's this box that is an interactive world into the album. I think that would be the top thing I would do actually with infinite money. Sorry for the long answer, but that's what I.
0: Oh no, that's fantastic. All of those ideas sound so cool, but I I definitely really gravitate towards that. That last idea about sort of an immersive experience because you know in the old days you would get an album and you might just be able to like listen to it over and over and read the liner notes and maybe watch the music video and that's about as much as you could get right you know but but this is like that would be sort of a whole different experience really being able to experience the music there's a in a whole new way
1: it makes me think of there's a book by um, Julio Cortazar that I really love that's called Hopscotch and Hopscotch is a fascinating book because the way it works is, um, as he says in the in the prelude to the book, it is, he says this book can be read in at least two ways. He says you can you can read from chapter one straight to chapter 27 and then stop and just put the book away and you're done. Or you can read chapter one and then at the end of the chapter, it tells you what chapter to go to next. And you go to that one and that one and there's something like 58 chapters in the book actually. And so you read the book out of order, and then uh, and and you arrive at the end whenever you arrive at the end because you never know when you're going to get to the end because you're not reading from left to right through the book. And I read that both ways, and what I discovered after like looking at it really carefully was that in the long way where he said he claims in the prelude that you read all the chapters this way, but he's lying. There's actually one chapter that you don't read. When you read the from the short way that you don't read when you read the long way, like he skips it. And then what's funny, the fascinating thing is that that chapter, the short, the chapter from the short way reading straight through from one to 27, like say chapter 14, chapter 14 happens almost exactly the same in the long way. But it's like chapter, I think there's like 70 something chapters, but, um, but some of them are real short, but chapter 14 is now like, say chapter 38 And chapter thirty-eight is almost word for word chapter fourteen, except for there's weird little details about the magazine someone's reading, or like like the music that's playing on the radio, and other just strange little things that are different throughout. And so it's like you're in this parallel world, you know, like uh, this parallel dimension. And it it was a fascinating thing when I that really I think that really impacted me, like reading noticing that and reading that. And yeah, like something about like, yeah, you're saying like reading the liner notes on a record. But yeah, like, like if you could kind of like go into the liner notes, you know, into this like kind of like depth of like that exploration while you're sitting there with your record, listening to it, sitting back and like reading the liner notes, looking at the pictures. But you're like uh, going in and you find these odd, I'm really fascinated by things that are almost the same but a little different like repetition in art is really fascinating to me so like you could do a lot when you when you have a box that just has a bunch of algorithmic stuff in there like you're not gonna like wear it out by like adding like another 30 things that someone's hardly ever gonna find but then it's like a little easter egg in there there's a lot of fascinating things like that to me about it (laughs) you know
0: i i've never heard of that book but i'm gonna have to look that up now i'm very curious
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a really good one.
0: And I think that's really cool how that it it impacted your, your creativity, which obviously, I mean, like, how could reading something like that not impact anybody, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Really. You know, stuff like that, you know, I mean, there's been a bunch of stuff throughout life that like that where I like I encounter it like a movie or book or music thing or something. I'm like, Oh, this is possible. Okay. This is possible. You know? And you're just like, wow. (laughs) you know that that book was definitely one of those where it's like this is such a simple idea but it's so i didn't know this existed it's really neat you know
0: yeah yeah and i'm sure people come across your music and what you do and they probably think you know i didn't know this existed and you're inspiring other people
1: that'd be nice i like that idea yeah i like that idea you know that's the thing i love about you know i mentioned the youtube channel thing is that i mean it sounds a little silly to say but but um but because that the the channel that I start on YouTube it's called Labyrinth of limitations and uh, and it's um and it's very like dear to my heart the subject matter of it like it's not something to like it, I'm not like trying to become a youtuber like in a kind of popular way it's very esoteric and very niche type of thing that I'm talking about in that channel and showing people I'm improvising a lot I'm showing people how to do things and I have PDFs and I have this app that I made for the thing but what I'm getting at is that I've never experienced the direct communication that's possible there because it's like really a social media thing. YouTube is when you do it in a certain way. So it's been really fascinating to have this kind of feedback from people where they like have expressed some really encouraging things about like, I hadn't thought about these things this way. And it's like affected my practice or way of making music in an interest in a cool way. I I feel like uh, it's turned a page in my musical, in my creative life where I'm, I'm, like uh, I, I'm, I'm awakened to being aware that, like, you know, stuff that seems obvious to me because, of course, it's just what I've come to is like could have the same effect to somebody else, maybe that uh, that other things have had to me, and that's encouraging. It's fun. It's an inspiring thing to think about. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Passing on wisdom because you you just never know who might be affected by
1: it. You never know. You know.
0: And, you know, you have all of, like you said, you made yourself vulnerable to putting out records and and albums and performances and the YouTube channel. And, you know, that stuff stays in the world forever, essentially. And so what I'm wondering is how, how do you, how would you like to be remembered when all is said and done?
1: Wow, you know, gosh, I don't know. I don't think about how I want to be remembered. I want, there are things that I care about a lot. You know what I think about in that way more than anything? That's a tough question. You know, because the thing is, as far as like kind of notoriety or like being known for doing something goes, pretty much the entirety of how I think about that whole subject is, will it allow me to do more things? Like that's in a way, I I think I'm just kind of a, I don't come off this way because I've been teaching a long time. And so I'm comfortable with speaking publicly or to people or groups of people, but I'm a very private, person. And, um, and so it weirds me out, you know, a little bit sometimes if I think about like being known for things or something, but you know, when you're known for things and doing things, then people ask you to do those things. And that's really important because I love doing the things, you know, I love, and I love, and I do love meeting people. I love the aspect of doing work and creating and being known for your work that allows you to meet people who are like-minded or that are interested in something that you're interested in that is my favorite aspect of, of the whole kind of getting known for something. Um, I love that. And I've had a lot of really important experiences because of that kind of thing that I really cherish. So as far as like being known for something, like say after I'm gone or legacy or thinking or being known or something, I, I think much more about, um, like, uh, about, um, I would like people to know, it sounds it might sound weird to say but like say the the Barry Harris type stuff that I that I use in my musical work and and how that's important to me I I, I it, it's more important to me that like I think let me say this as best as I can I think about my field and my musical world like be the change that you want to see in the world you know and so you do the work that you wish lived in the world and you can do that while also incur- what being happy with other people's work, but just realizing they're not doing the work that you really most want to see. And you have to do that because only you can do that. And so you do that and you connect people and everything. So if that's your drive to doing it, then what you care most about is maybe if you get to do a little bit of making that change in the world that you want to see. So I think about, I would like to be able to share with people the ways that I've developed of improvising on the guitar so that that lives on in other people outside of me when I'm gone. And I think the same thing about like the types of things that I'm trying to share in my musical experiences with uh, algorithms and stuff. Like I'm working on research, publishing around this stuff, like about how making algorithms that emulate traditional musical processes affects the way your mind views those musical processes and i think that's important and impactful in my life so i would like that to live on outside of me it's stuff like that as far as like the songs i write or like the things that kind of count as musical expression i feel i always feel like those are always accidents like i'm never driven to uh express myself it just happens anyway (laughs) and uh and i like that and that is satisfying but that's like mainly to keep me company so as ingratiated as I am that people like the music, that there are people, I would say, that there are people who have expressed that they like the music I make. Um, and that is very gratifying. That, is, that, that, that that like leads to being able to do it more and to connect with people that are like-minded and to uh, do fun projects of collaboration with people. But as far as them living when I'm gone and stuff, their main function for me is to keep me company, if that makes sense like that's where the songs and the compositions and everything for me goes and it's just kind of a happy wonderful thing that like there are other people that are kind of like me it's it makes you feel less alone in the world when that's the way you make art and then you happen to find other people that are um that are enough simpatico with you that they like that too and then and then it's like really not about the work anymore it's about like oh i met a cool person a person who i jive with you know or that i'm simpatico with and um but uh because the main function of the artworks themselves as much as you do them performatively out in the world and stuff is is kind of to keep you company or something if that makes sense i don't know it's a funny thing that's what i think so i think uh so i think you know so I think probably as far as like when I'm gone and stuff, I would I would want, the things that would be most important for me to be remembered for is just to uh, have uh, been helpful educationally to people to be able to do stuff, and I really am not that concerned if I'm even remembered for that as long as uh, but because really the thing that's most important to me is just that some if those things are out helping people, it doesn't matter if it's identified that I had anything to do with them getting out there. That's kind of how I feel about that, but functionally in the world, because it does help you to do more stuff, it is really nice to get credit for things. It is really nice to be like known for doing things because then that means that someone will ask you to do something that they'll pay you to do that then will give you an excuse to make the time for that in your life. And uh, when you could be working on other things, gives you focus and uh, support and exposure to do other things. And there's that chain. And that's kind of how I think about so, I'm a very impractical person, maybe. That's how I think about all of it, though.
0: It's a good mindset to have, you know, about putting art out into the world for whatever purpose it needs to be, regardless of if you're known for it, you know, because it's really about expression and inspiration and just the art living for itself.
1: Right. Yeah, I think so, you know. Yeah. And like, like, say, and uh, I see a lot of potential for the world of, of, of like say guitarists and classical guitarists, like like with the kind of background that I have and stuff, I see lots of potential and I see little manifestations of it. But I would like my work to be an example for like young classical guitarists, for example, that like going to music school and stuff. I know that's a niche group, but I would like it to be an example for like people that are developing that skill set. That it's like, oh, you can use that in lots of ways. That means I can explore my own way of doing this and that's not like tom's way and that is uh and that i feel like a little bit more empowered or like that's a good thing to do because i see tom doing his goofy stuff that is using this kind of skill set so i think about that when i do performances and stuff even like sometimes like if if i don't if i'm not like involving any chops for my classical guitar thing which happens from time to time because it just doesn't fit in sometimes i don't play guitar at all and something and and etc I'm at least mindful of it of like, well, this wasn't one where I took advantage of the possibility of kind of setting an example for like a young person who's learning this instrument to see like this is a way of using it. And that's something that's important to me just because I think like, you know, you got your inner younger person inside yourself and my inner younger person when I was like 17, 18, 19 was uh, distressed by not seeing examples of that type of thing that I could identify with. So... So I feel like everybody who, and there are other people that are, I think are really good examples of doing that kind of thing. And I'm inspired to see, um, but everybody who's doing that kind of thing, uh, you know, makes it more likely that more people will do it. And then we end up in this really vibrant world where everybody's like doing all kinds of wacky stuff.
0: You mentioned briefly about what you wish you would have liked to have seen in your younger self in terms of music and inspiration, but is there anything that, you wish you had known when you were younger that you knew now?
1: Yeah, sure. A bunch of things, bunch of things. I think, you know, but, the, the, but, but my things about that are things that I eventually learned, but it just took long time to learn, you know, it took a long time to learn and, and have to do with, I mean, like every, to me, everything in life is all kind of connected together. So like, I i am not I'm happily feel like a relatively cohesive person. So that means like kind of personal things in life and music and art, making everything real kind of connected. And, you know, when I was younger, when I was like 19, 20, 21 kind of thing, I wish I would have known that like earlier than it took me to learn that like the, the pain that you feel in life does not define you or make you wiser. (laughs) (laughs) Is <laughs> that's a thing, you know, but, uh, uh, like Emerson said something like that. He said, uh, the only th- Emerson said, I think this might be a direct quote even, but I uh, said, uh, from his essay on experience. He said, um, the only thing grieving ever taught me was how shallow it is. Now, I don't mean to mitigate anybody's pain or grief at all. Not one bit. But when I was younger as a young person and stuff, I, I, um, was in a place where I believed in cheesy myths about art and music that, uh, that like includes a belief that if your life is such that you have some grief in your life, that that might have some kind of value to it as far as giving you gravitas or depth. And, um, and as Emerson said, really what it is, it doesn't have anything like loss is loss. Loss is loss. That's the worst thing about loss in life is that it is loss and that you don't, that the best thing you can learn is that that's all there is to learn. And that's what makes it so tragic and uh, part of the human condition is that you don't all of a sudden become a wise person with lots of insight because of loss. You just have loss. And so uh, that's a little heavier than I think that question needed that to be. But when I was, yeah, when I was younger, I think I wish I would have someone could have just really put that into my head when I was like 18, 19 or 20 or whatever. And, um, and I think, uh, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, it's like, it kind of, the way it's hard to answer that question though, too, because it's like the things that you have wrong in your life, if you challenge yourself to grow through them and move around them and aren't just self-satisfied become the process of moving around them becomes an important part of who you are and makes you learn more for example like a metaphor that kind of sums it up for me a bit is uh i had as i mentioned before i had some pretty heavy technique problems in my right hand and i had to do some pretty heavy stuff to fix them and i know for a fact that that experience along with being taught how to teach the instrument from one of my teachers but that experience uh helped me as a teacher a better teacher by uh kind of my understanding of those things and if i wouldn't have had that experience that was that probably set my performance career back some and probably uh and was and was difficult um i wouldn't have had that so you know so it's kind of hard because like if you wish like yourself to have the knowledge that you gain then you miss out on the experience of of moving towards that knowledge but the number one thing that jumps out to me, and I see this in young people sometimes, is kind of like goofy cheese ball tropes about like passion or struggle or something that have to do with art that movies perpetuate that I don't think are that valuable to me. <laughs> if that makes sense.
0: It does it does, yeah, because you know, I mean, we can certainly tap into all sorts of different emotions to make art, you know, it's not just angst, it's not just grief,
1: mhm, yeah, yeah, the human condition is full of sadness, you know, so you don't have to try to hold on to it, <laughs> you know, is what what kind of that's not me ta- talking to anybody else, that's me talking to me <laughs> and to my younger self, you know, is what I mean, I would never ever diminish somebody's you know personal struggles or pain or suffering or anything like that of course but um but with myself you know that would you know i think that that would have been a, something that would have been good to hear it was like a you know that kind of thing interesting Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: yeah sound advice for sure and uh one final question before we go in your own words, what does living a creative life mean to you?
1: I love that question. I, um, that's something I I talk with students a lot about that. Um, in a fun way, I have some really inspiring students that I really feel, you know, fortunate to get to talk about cool stuff with while we're in the midst of our, just doing our more specific work, things like this will come up. Um, I think to me, and, and and see, my favorite thing about creative life stuff is that everybody, and musicians definitely, I mean, I, I should speak of what I know more about, so just, I'll just say musicians. Sorry, musicians. Um, have this wonderful thing that we can take advantage of in our life if we want to, which is we get to kind of define what it means to be a musician by our life. Each one of us does. In the same way as like kind of like, uh, sartre said uh humans define what each human defines what being human is or what human nature is by their by their very life um musicians get to define what being a musician is by their by each each musician's life and uh and that's an incredible you know um thing because from my viewpoint i mean free will exists but I don't know how much free will exists, but I'm pretty sure it's not as much as we think. And uh, there's like, you know, and like, like Tolstoy in War and Peace, like talking about history and free will, he's saying that like, you know, it's really a small fragment that that is actually about personal choice because there's all these constraints and all these situations around us. And we have this little smidgen of actual choice and control that then it's kind of like surfing on a wave, then the wave changes and you have to respond to it once again. So where does your free will come in? Like surfing on a wave is maybe a good metaphor. And so uh, as an artist and as a creative person, as a musician, you get to create the person you're going to become in a certain way in this particular part of your life while doing something that is sensually pleasing to do because it's a very pleasant experience. To be a musician um playing the guitar even if it didn't make sound i would do because it's just a pleasant experience to just play the instrument and feel the vibrations if it made vibrations without making sound i would play the guitar um and then the sound is 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 the best part you know and um so it's this very like like pleasing experience um but it also has this like broader kind of spiritual for lack of a better word um Uh, experience uh, where you get to engage with agency in who you become you get to like cast your you know gaze forward and say like I'm going to and that's where learning comes in I'm going to learn this I'm going to develop in that way I'm going to I can't do this now but I will be able to and once you can you're a different person that you had some agency in making and and once you can do that thing, what invariably happens if you do this type of thing in the way that I've experienced it you, once you get to the other side of that and you are the person that can do that thing that you couldn't do before that you consciously chose to move towards that being able to do that thing kind of changes how you feel as a person changes how you feel when you're making art and um, and uh, and and you feel a certain like you get to experience whatever that free will is that we get in our life you get this visceral experience of some little smidgen of that of some part of it some little little fragment of free will that you actually get to really savor and feel and and feel inspired by and satisfied by and and then you get to do it again and you get to continue and um and and move and move and i think and then also uh and, and, and to me, always the thing I would never want to end up in the situation of personally, like everybody has their pet peeves and everybody privileges their pet peeves. But my personal for myself, towards myself pet peeve, I would be very un- unhappy if I ended up in a place where I just stayed the same and I just uh, became just self-satisfied and didn't. And I just looked back and I was like, yeah, for the past few years, I've just been the same, same person. Uh, dynamism is really important about life to me and so yeah being an art a creative person and doing art and stuff is about learning by learning you invariably are questioning yourself and doubting yourself and seeing things outside of yourself and moving towards that and then becoming that and uh and that's like really inspiring to me so these are the things, and then, and then there's all these little detritus, like the little traces that like kind of prove that you exist about like when you create something that's an expression of yourself or something that just kind of comes about or that you took part in or you like willfully engaged in or whatever. And there's all these little offshoots that are also, again, help you to kind of savor what it feels like to be human, and, um, which is all we have. So, you know, it's, it's a, and I love that. And I think, and I think it's conducive when you do that. To um, I think it's conducive to um, kind of compassion and uh, and uh, inclusivity. Personally, I'm always perplexed. It's relatively rare, but when you do, when I do encounter someone who's like actually really making quality art, but then you get some evidence that they've got some real weird, like viewpoints about humans and stuff it's that's a very strange thing because that's not the norm that's like the exception that proves the rule because i think like uh having a happy like intrinsic and that's an important word that's like what i'm talking about is intrinsic value and um i mean a happy like intrinsic value in your creative life and stuff i think is conducive to like um being uh compassionate Towards others and accepting of people in general and stuff. I think, but I I don't. know That's just my feeling on it, and I think. But I think intrinsic's being the key thing. Yeah. So like, art making and all of it and all that learning and all that stuff is about intrinsic value rather than extrinsic value. Like like it like your inner life, in other words, you know. And that's really fun.
0: All good things, and so much you know, so much to think about there.
1: Yeah, I think about it a lot. It's fun to think about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. I I always love the answers that people give when I ask that question.
1: Hmm. It's a good question. Yeah. It's
0: one of my favorites for sure. (laughs) Well, Thomas, thank you so much for being on the show and listeners. uh, Be sure to check out the show notes for links to his bio and other really cool projects. And as always, have a great day.
1: Thank you. It's been really nice talking about this stuff.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like the show? Have a question? Stop by the Facebook and Instagram pages. Links are in the show notes or search for a creative piecemeal podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.